When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, definitely make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let us know what you about the episode. If there's a particular guest or topic that you'd like to have covered, we're always checking your comments on there. Love to be able to take your feedback and then be able to create future episodes or get your questions answered. So definitely make sure and do that. Today, I'm going to be joined by Ian from Full Throttle Battery, and I wanted to talk with him about something that is really overlooked when it comes to maintenance and that's the batteries that we choose the differences between them what can separate one brand from another and they have a long history of creating batteries for really hostile environments and so i wanted to chat with them about what they do for diesel trucks learn a bit more about it so i'm definitely looking forward to chatting with him today before we get to it though i want to remind you our friends over at kershaw knives have a 20 percent off site wide code for you Abuse code diesel2023 at kershaw.kaiusa.com. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. If you need a knife for EDC, hunting, fishing, around the job site, at home, uh, they've got a ton of different choices. And 2023 has been a huge year for them with new releases. And one of the newer ones are the Duralock models, which the blade's made out of D2 steel. There's different choices for blade shape, handle shape. The way that it opens and closes is super smooth, keeps your fingers out of the way. I've got a handful of them myself. They're always in my pocket. love to use them. So if you're in the market, definitely make sure head on over to their website and use code diesel 2023 for 20% off. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Ian and chatting with him about batteries and specifically batteries we should pick for diesel trucks. Ian, welcome to the diesel podcast. I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while here to be able to connect on a topic that I know we've overlooked on the diesel podcast. I think a lot of them do, um, which is batteries. And it's always something where when I've had a problem with batteries, I have a problem with batteries and it's not fun to deal with. And we were chatting beforehand about what goes into making them, um, your guys' background in different industries and what diesel trucks specifically require and need. So I look forward to chatting with you, learning more uh, um, about batteries and what I don't know that I should know before I purchase a set. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start with you specifically in the company and understand more of the background of, of what you guys do at full throttle. Can you walk me through your guys's focus and your approach to battery powers for, I mean, all vehicles, but I know we're going to be focusing here on, on diesel trucks here pretty soon. Yeah. There's so many fragments of the, the battery market. You've got deep cycle, you got SLI, which is called starting lighting ignition, You've got uh, different chemistries. You got lithium. You got flooded lead acid. You've got AGM. Uh, as far as what we do at Full River, now you just heard me say Full River. I'm here to represent Full Throttle. Full Throttle is our line, which is Full River's line of SLI batteries, starting lighting ignition, and we make everything, whether it be our deep cycle line or our starting line in an AGM format. And uh, our focus specifically with the full throttle line is to take over the world. We will take over, we will take the Pepsi challenge with any company out there. We've got the, the statistics and the, the analytics based on how we've tested these batteries to be, they've proven themselves against the, uh, 
various chemistries as well as against its competing AGM uh, line. There's really only a couple of companies in the world, whether it be Deep Cycle or SLI, that manufacture what we consider to be a true thin plate, pure lead battery or a true AGM deep cycle. And, uh, you know, you've got to <clears throat> batteries in a lot of ways are like wonder bread. So if you go to Walmart and buy a flooded battery off the shelf, it's very likely the same battery that you're going to get at Napa, the same battery that you're going to get. At, uh, I almost said shucks auto supply, which is a testament to how old I am. They've been, <laughs> I think they've been out of business since 2006, but uh, like O'Reilly's or, you know, out here on the West Coast, we've got the Les Schwab chain of uh, tire stores. So most often than not, those companies will buy from a battery manufacturer that will private brand it in-house. So there's only a handful of companies out there that are representing the label that they actually manufacture. Do we do some private branding stuff? We do. Does our biggest competitor, Odyssey, do some private branding? They do. Odyssey makes some batteries for uh, places like Interstate. And I can't disclose who we make batteries for because it's kind of not, not particularly kosher, but we do do some private branding, whether it be a very large battery specialist or an actual company that represents itself as a manufacturer. So, um, but in terms of what it is that we're looking to do with full throttle, I'll give you a little quick history on the company. So the full throttle battery's been in, I wanna say for probably about 17 years, but nobody knew it as full throttle prior to 2016. Halfway through 2016, we took that battery, which was called an HC series and it was yellow. It looked like it belonged in a Case IH tractor. You know, it, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was particularly sexy. And we rebranded it as full throttle in July 1st, 2016. And since then, we've been moving it through our channels that uh, have historically bought our deep cycle line and or uh, moving it through certain channels that um, like in the WD space, the warehouse distributors, um, undercar, this, that and the other. But our, uh, you know, <clears throat> the line has done nothing but this over the last eight years. And uh, we've got some just crazy opportunities coming up. But in terms of what we did with that brand when it first came out, we went after some low hanging fruit. And the low hanging fruit were also the most abusive applications we could find. One was car audio. Car audio is ridiculous. Especially, like when people think car audio, they think about their Nissan hard body low rider and, and just like 112 behind the seat or something like that. Well, competition car audio are the guys that are pushing 160 decibels. Uh, that is a space that we attacked. But then we realized that the biggest abuser of batteries that we could find was desert racing. And so we went after that next. And we were showing up to events like King of Hammers, a lot of the uh, the desert races in Southern California. And the only thing that I can equate putting a battery into a trophy truck is like taking a battery to Home Depot and having, having them put it in their paint agitation can and just sit there and just shake it over and over again. It takes a very, very robust battery to put up with that type of abuse. What's so interesting to me about this and kind of how I got started really going down this journey to learn more is I think of being an enthusiast and we're going to be talking about diesel trucks here. So I'll, I'll think about it in those terms is 
let's say we have a new truck. We pretty much keep it stock until the warranty's out. And then we start to look at what can I upgrade? And it'll typically start with wheels and tires and lift kit, and it'll progress into some, you know, maybe things that add power. But we're always looking for the best that we can afford within our budget that'll give us either more capability or more reliability. So I've covered turbos and transmissions and every other aspect of a truck. But the batteries, especially on these newer vehicles, are so much there's so much that depends on them with the electronics, with the accessories that people add. And I know from my own journey in being a truck enthusiast is it was almost an afterthought to me. I just thought, okay, I'm coming up on the four years or the five years it's rated for. What's the most convenient place, cheapest place for me to go and get them? And I've had some experiences over the years where that doesn't work out for me. And I got really curious about what goes into making a battery for a diesel truck application. And it's so varied, as, as I'm sure you guys know. There's you guys who hotshot. There's people who use them for construction, road construction, just enthusiasts um, that are running you know different types of accessories or different things with them. What does the diesel truck market challenge you guys with, or what opportunities does it provide when you're looking at making sure that customer has the best product, the best performance? that they can get as it compares to maybe some other industries where it might be a little bit different. I'm just really curious about the diesel side of it. Well, not to sound cocky, but in terms of how it would challenge us, the battery is built to such a specification that we, we could put this thing into a Humvee. We've we, the applications that we've put this full throttle battery through as well as our deep cycle line. If you can think of it, we've done it doesn't matter if it's a side-by-side -side all the way to a hydroelectric dam. We've, we've put batteries in every application known to man. Now, where diesel really kind of separates itself is twofold. And if there's one thing, <clears throat> you mentioned going the cheap route when you had a warranty situation. So my guesstimate as to why that doesn't work out for people is strictly theoretical, but I think I'm on the right track. Rotating electrical systems within under the hood of every new vehicle have changed so drastically over the last 20 years. The average temperature under the hood of a vehicle in 1999 was about 180 degrees. We're closer to 300 now. Wow. So when you combine the amount of accessories that are being uh, offered on a new vehicle in conjunction with updated rotating electrical systems, you know, I, I, I don't have current statistics in front of me, but I mean, Back in the late 90s, I want to say 90 amps was a pretty hot alternator. Now we're probably 120. I mean, 28 SIs are like 180, something like that. I mean, those are mostly for commercial trucks. But where diesels and diesel enthusiasts would best benefit from a battery like ours is when they're running. I mean, first of all, if you want the reliability or if you're in cold weather, if you're in extreme hot weather, you put yourself into a position to have much more success with the battery under your hood by buying something that's able to perform at elite level to where it can handle very rapid discharge and or elongated discharge but a rapid recharge like i said those electrical systems on these vehicles these days emit a lot of current so having the having a battery that has the ability to withstand that to withstand that shock of a rapid recharge it's it gets very very technical very very quick and i think i think under hood temperatures play a factor into why people have such a lack of success on over-the-counter type batteries that they can get at a farm store to a tire store or something like that versus what they would expect out of a thin plate agm and when it comes to diesels we're obviously dealing with a lot more compression than a typical gas motor 
So it takes more current to turn that motor over. And I mean, I mean, we're talking anything from 5.9 liters up to 7.3 liters. And if we want to go down and talk, I, I know you're probably super stoked to talk, talk about old rabbits and TDI jets <laughs> and stuff like that. But like, <laughs> you know, with the compression ratios that diesels have, having that additional current and when you kick that starter over, there's an immediate draw on that battery, immediate. And there's a rating called pulse hot cranking amps, and we call it PHCA. And what that is, is how many amps that battery will throw current at, at 80 degrees. And there's a huge portion of this country where a, a metric like that applies to because of the weather conditions and stuff like that. It's, it's how, how hot a battery will turn a motor over essentially like you take our group 34 it's an 825 cca battery it's a 1500 phc phca battery so it'll emit 1500 amps for five seconds and if your car won't start within five seconds you got another problem <laughs> but <laughs> you know but the further down the rabbit hole you go you talked about customization when people start adding stereo, start adding lighting, this, that, and the other, that is a draw and it's a constant draw on a rotating electrical system. And where's that rotating electrical system going to fall back on, on its battery. If you overwhelm it, we see that a ton in UTV side-by-side -side type, type riding is, I mean, you're talking about vehicles that only capable of emitting about 50 amps, 48 amps and guys will put 30, 40 amps, worth of basically where you have a perpetual draw like a light bar or a stereo or a set of radios or something like that and by the time you do the math at what equals out to 25 amps so you totally overwhelm the stator and where's it going to fall back to it's going to fall back to the battery diesel trucks are no different one area that when you were describing the challenges that these trucks have i immediately started thinking about newer trucks and the temperatures they run because they have to for emissions, so they're running warmer. But then also, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of the guys that I saw that had diesel trucks, they use them for work, they use them in the oil fields, other places, they'd leave them idling for a long time. Whereas now you can't really do that because of the emission systems that are on there. So they're turning off, turning on, turning off, turning on. And we're kind of getting into that, you know, winter time where mostly or half the country is going to start getting cold. And I think of the demands that that would place on, you know, trucks got a few years on it, the battery's starting to wear out, some other things that are there where it's going to be more challenging than maybe some of the older ones were, where once you got it started, you could just let it idle for four, six, eight hours, however long it was, where you can't do that now. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of what the battery chemistry is that you have under the hood of your vehicle, it is a good practice to throw a trickle charger and i say trickle kind of loosely Here, here's another piece of information that any one of your audience should take into consideration when you buy a battery charger you take the amount of amp hours that the battery you are trying to charge puts out so a conventional group 34 which is or i'm sorry let's take a conventional group 24. you're talking anywhere from 80 to 85 amp hours give or take in a deep cycle you want to put 20% back into that battery. So your charger, let's make the, let's make the math much, much easier. 100 amp hour battery, you want a 20 amp charger. So that's your 20%. And, you know, if you're dealing with a 94R, which a lot of the, uh, a lot of the new diesels all take that 94R, those things run about 65, upwards of 70 
amp hour, you want to hit that thing with somewhere in the ballpark of about 15 to 20 amps. And if your charger is just a plug in the wall trickle charger that's putting one to two amps in, that's for a Harley Davidson. It's not for a it's not for a truck. And it is a good practice to to plug in a battery once a month, once every couple of months, because what you just described about guys leaving their trucks running and not being able to do that anymore. What we call that in the industry is called partial state of charge. And where it used to rear its head, believe it or not, is in floor scrubbers. So the guys that are janitors and stuff like that, that are operating those battery powered floor scrubbers, you take the amount of hours that they're working over the course of a shift versus how much time it actually takes to recharge that battery pack. So oftentimes those battery packs would never, ever get back to hundred percent because they don't have the window to charge it all the way back up cars under the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, batteries under the hood of new vehicles, especially with people that have short runs to work five minutes, 10 minutes, their battery will never see a hundred percent in its entire usage cycle under the hood of that vehicle. And they're probably going to have battery power problems over the course of two to three years, four years. That's really interesting. I wanted to ask you about those short runs because there's so many different parts of the diesel truck community that it's, it's always fascinated me because there are those listeners we have or people that I chat with where they put tons of miles on these things every year and they're, they're just being worked hard every day. (laughs) And then there's, I'm probably more on the other side where I use it to go from point A to point B, maybe take a short trip. I'm not really on the highway that much. It's more of just a daily driver kind of grocery getter. Um, I don't think is a majority of people, but it is a sizable part of the community. So I think that was where a lot of my questions revolved around is I'm not really putting a lot of miles on this thing. How does that affect the battery long term? How how can I avoid some of the issues I had mentioned before we started the podcast? Is it always seems like every couple of years, once the cold hits, that's what that's when I need to put new batteries in my truck. I've yeah. had that happen a few times. And I'm curious how we can avoid some of those issues or try to maximize it. If we're not working the truck hard every day, it's it's more of a daily driver Monday to Friday. It it goes back to what I just said about throwing a charge on that battery once every one to two months. And here's another, here's a little another nugget. If your battery on a 12 volt gets below 12.28 OCV, which is open circuit voltage. If it gets below 12.28, it's starting to damage itself. It's starting to do sulfation. Will ours do that? Well, ours doesn't have a lot of the impurities in it than a, a conventional battery that you buy over the shelf is. So is it susceptible? Yes, but it, that escalation of that problem will not take shape in any way, shape or form the way that it would on a conventional flooded battery. So it goes back to putting a charge on that thing. So when you're doing short runs like that and that battery starts to discharge, it gets below 12.28, the crystallization on those plates starts to take effect and eventually it results in a short and you got a bad battery. But uh, I never really ran into that problem. All my diesel trucks, I usually tend to flip them at about 300,000 miles. (laughs) I uh, for a, for a period there, and this isn't in a tractor trailer or anything like that for a period there, I was doing about 85, 80 to 85,000 miles a year. Yeah. But, uh, it, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad to be on the show cause I've been a diesel enthusiast my entire life going back from to Volkswagen rabbits up to my, my first diesel truck was a, a 91, seven, three naturally aspirated two wheel drive Ford. I think that, yeah, I think it was a 91. And then uh, my second one after that, after I wore that one out, was an 01 24 valve uh, uh, five speed Cummins. So, and 
now I got two 2020 Ram six sevens out in the parking lot right now. So, yeah. What, what got you into diesels at, at the start? How did that progress? I'm really curious because a lot of times chatting about uh, products and, and different parts of you know, being an enthusiast, um, not everybody's a diesel enthusiast that I might chat with. So whenever I connect with someone and then they're like, oh man, I had a 7.3, I had this, I had a, a you know, Cummins. I'm always really curious how it ties together in kind of with the product and the enthusiasm for for uh, diesel in general. So I got into diesels by way of my dad and my dad got into diesels by way of fuel mileage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was driving uh, duster. Th- I mean, he would tell me about all these hot rods he used to have. He used to have a fat, uh, used to have an old Mustang 289, had a duster 340, 71 Firebird. He'd, he'd have all these cool cars wound up trading his duster 340 on a 70 Datsun 510 because it got good mileage and as as Volkswagen started to bring in diesels in the oh I'm sure they may have done it in the late 70s but in the early 80s those are the first memories I have is my dad's driving around in a rabbit diesel and I'm not even kidding you he probably had I think he had three rabbit diesels he had two dasher diesels he had two rabbit truck diesels had an Audi 4000 that was a diesel and the Audi 4000 and the uh, he had a 1990 Jetta diesel as well. Those were my two car first cars. And I mean, the Audi would get a legitimate 50 miles per gallon. It was a five speed and it weighed no kidding, 2100 pounds. So it just it there was just so little resistance that the uh, the Volkswagen would get about 40. And that's how that's how I got into those. But I just you know, as I got into the battery industry, I had to start towing and that's where the trucks started to come in. And don't get me wrong. He had trucks too. Like he had old 86 twos. Um, and like I said, uh, my first one was a Ford, but then I kind of gravitated over to the Ram. And since then I've owned all three OEs. So, yeah, but I, I've, I did the math on it about two months ago. I figured I'd driven about 2.4 million miles in my life. <laughs> and I guarantee you two, 2 million of those are in a diesel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there. It, it's something that grabbed me early. Um, I think it was. I can't say it was the mileage for me. It was more so the torque and the power. And I've always had. I don't, you know, never really got into racing too much, but it was always what could I get out of it and kind of have that do-all vehicle um, where I could daily drive it, make some good power. Maybe I did want to go to test and tunes, take it to the track every now and then, have some fun. But I could just have one vehicle because that's all I could afford. I couldn't really spread it out between other types of uh types of platforms and then through that journey um it was on a podcast not long ago we were talking about the the owning a truck and kind of the life cycle that you go through as an enthusiast where when you're young you want something that you make some power it's kind of loud um you got it lifted and then you kind of tone it down a little bit and you kind of get more into the reliability sustainability of it and that's where it all converged for me on a whole bunch of different topics like maintenance, reliability, efficiency. And the battery was one that just it hit me out of the blue one day. So I thought, okay, uh, my truck takes two of these. I'm replacing them, you know, at these different intervals. If I focused in on what's the best turbo, what's the best transmission, what's the best injectors, what's the best fuel additive, um, what's the best transmission fluid, differential fluid, why haven't we talked about the battery side of it? Because it's not this static kind of you know, the, the perception I think that the general truck person has is a battery's a battery, they're all the same. And when we were chatting, you're like, oh no, they're not. There's a whole bunch of different different aspects to it. So I wanted to focus in on that just a little bit. 
is what are some things I need to know as somebody who loves their truck, wants to keep it for a while. I want to put the best parts, best components on it that I can, that I should ask or evaluate when it's coming time to change my batteries and, and upgrade them. What are some questions or things I should ask myself or the place I'm buying it from as it pertains to getting the best product I can? To a certain extent, they're going to be hard for an end user to uh, to answer. A lot of uh, battery shops throughout the throughout the world to be able to help answer some of those questions, and it's all related to what your draw is. What kind of draw? What uh, what kind of driving you're doing? Is are you in a high vibration environment? I mean, <clears throat> I mean, if you get back to like, I vividly remember the old six two GM diesels that we used to run. Were just they just sit there and just. <laughs> shake something fierce so it's almost like a perpetual vibrating type situation but uh you know i mean if you're doing a lot of i mean overlanding is getting big well it's not getting big it is big but where we're starting to see it steer is away from it's not necessarily steering away from jeeps and toyotas but full-size guys are starting to get into it more and you have uh it, there's no shortage of uh Duramax, Power Stroke, and Cummins Overlanders out there now. So when you're doing, when you're doing driving like that, when you're putting your your truck into an environment like that, you're dependent on, uh, you're dependent on the power that that truck's electrical system can put out to power your components, your lights, this, that, and the other. But I mean, I got you got stoves out there that guys are powering off, off their trucks. Some people are actually running a secondary setup bank of batteries in there, but. All those questions come down, in my opinion, it's related to the draw that your truck is demanding. And if you've got a handful of accessories and you want to put a battery in there that's going to last as long as your truck does, there's there's options. No question about it. You get a conventional battery uh, over the over the shelf at any like a Walmart or something like that. You get what you pay for. You know, are there ways to prevent problems? Of course. How many end users actually work towards preventing those problems? I have yet to meet one, <laughs> but nonetheless, like there are solutions out there. If you're, if you've got a very critical demand, if that battery under the hood is of a critical nature, and I know it's critical for everybody, everybody's got to get to work, but some people have different levels of critical. And uh, when you put a battery and I'll name drop our, our competitor, you know, you, you got us, you got full throttle and you got Odyssey. There is a big, big drop off after that. So if you want the best components, you can in terms of what's available on, to put under the hood of your car, those are great. That's the starting point. And everybody else is just a JV. <laughs> well, I think of having to having a product that can survive, say the demandings, uh, the, the demand of overlanding, or in applications where these vehicles are used for emergency services. And it has to start and there's just a, a tremendous tax that's placed on them. I think to myself, if that product will survive under those conditions, it's definitely going to work for the, the Monday to Friday daily driver that I have and how I use it. So that's what I look towards. You will find us in no shortage of municipalities, EMR, places like that, fire engines, places where it's absolutely critical. You, you will find us under the hood of a lot of those vehicles, no question about it. And don't get me wrong, there have been some really interesting troubleshooting situations that I've had to do, specifically down in like Mesa, Arizona, where not only are the batteries stored in a shed that's 120 to 130 degrees, which at those temperatures, the, the rate of discharge 
just natural shelf discharge is so much faster than it would be where I'm at in the Pacific Northwest, just based on the, the heat that it's subjected to. Then you put it under the hood of a vehicle that's going to touch 300 degrees. Then you combine all of that electrical draw that a cop car or that an ambulance or a fire engine commands at all times. It's really, really abusive. We've had to do some solar type setups because it goes back to that partial state of charge. When those guys fire that rig up and then they're asking that rig to go out and make their runs or do uh, emergency calls, this, that, and the other, that's a short run type situation. Obviously, they'll probably leave the, the ambulance or the car or something like that running, but you will find yourself in a partial state of charge situation because you're overwhelming that, uh, that rotating electrical system. And they probably bring the rig back and park it and it might only be at about an 80% state of charge. And that's your base point the next time you fire it up. You'd mentioned there being some things that maybe the average truck owner could do to prevent issues. And I'm curious what those could be. What are some things that I could do? I mean, you'd mentioned the draw and, and you know throwing a, a charger on it. Are there other things that I can do to avoid just lessening the life of, of my battery or just maximizing the, the longevity of it. So I, I said that relative to like a battery that you would buy off the counter at a Walmart. There are things that you can do. It goes right back to making sure that the charge level is up. But a lot of those batteries, you know, you do have sealed cases, you have sealed tops where the access to those cells is pretty limited and you got to be careful. But, um, you know, a couple manufacturers out there still use the conventional cell caps where you just press them down in there and you can pop those off and you can check your water level. And uh, oftentimes when you check those, it's not water level, it's uh, sulfuric acid. But when you look under there, you can see a little um, plastic piece that that we use as a gauge for where you fill that battery up with distilled water. And kind of the rule of thumb is you fill it up to where it's better part of maybe a quarter inch to a half inch below that little lip, not the lip at the case, the lip that you can visibly see with a flashlight under there. You don't want to fill it too much because it's going to boil over, but making sure that your battery's fluid level is up is one of the ways that you can prevent that. But I am telling you right now, I am disclaiming myself from any legal liability of that because that is not for everybody to do. That's for, a, I, would, I would recommend, unless you know what you're doing, that a professional shop take care of that because sulfuric acid, if it gets on you, it's gonna eat your clothes. If it gets on your face, it's gonna burn you. If it gets in your eyes, you're gonna be upset. I, uh, sulfuric acid is my blood type. I am unfazed. So it like, it can get anywhere on me. It's no problem, <laughs> but those are, those are some steps that you can do on those conventional flooded, uh, SLI batteries. I, I always love to look towards the future because I feel like automotive is changing so drastically. And I know it's the diesel podcast. We chat about diesels, but there seems to be a lot of other technologies that are coming into the marketplace and, you guys manufacture batteries and for hard use applications and, and for longevity. So I was curious as you look towards the future a bit, you know, we start to see this hybrid technology, you know, like in the half tons and who knows what the three quarter and one ton market's going to do. But are there some things that, that you're really paying attention to um, or excited to see, or maybe some new challenges or opportunities that are coming onto the horizon that uh, are just going to be fun to tackle? Um, are going to be different than they've been in the past. So there isn't a, a battery chemistry that we haven't dabbled in. There isn't a battery chemistry that I haven't sold. Uh, I use the term excited loosely because 
I'm not saying that I'm a boomer and that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But lithium is very popular. Lithium's finite. There's only so much of it. We have it. We have trouble recycling it. And uh, you know, one of the most controversial things about lithium is lithium extraction. I mean, there isn't a mining process on the planet that's more harmful to the environment than lithium extraction. So you have the challenges of recycling it, and then you have the challenges of procuring it. And if you're paying close attention, the OEs know that too, because some of the electric car manufacturers, I won't name them, but like <coughs> Tesla, uh, they're starting to create their own lithium mining companies so that they don't have to outsource lithium to make these cells that power these vehicles. Um, there is uh, sodium. Sodium is possibly in 10 to 15 years going to be a little bit more of a household name to where people, you know, I'm, I'm a little unclear on what they're going to use it for when it starts to make itself available. Uh, it could be industrial application, but they could be using it for, um, they could be using it for vehicles as well. Uh, I know there was a company that I used to work for called Exide. Exide uh, has been bought out. They're long gone, but at the time that I was working there, they were in the lab working with graphite and uh, which wouldn't that be nice to have a much lighter battery. That would be cool. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it, it, as far as some emerging technology and stuff like that right now, the, the biggest industry change I've seen, and I noticed it starting to happen about 2007 is more and more OEs are starting to re release their new vehicles with AGM like BMW was doing it long, long ago. They were doing it 15, 20 years, you know, 15 plus years ago. Um, all the batteries under the hood, every new half ton and every new Cummins now, or I'm sorry, not Cummins. I'm sorry. I just default to Cummins, man. It's what I've heard <laughs> for 20 years. So um, uh, it uh, basically all the uh, three quarter, one ton, uh, half tons, you're seeing AGM under the hood at a factory level. And that wasn't the case 10 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely it's a whole other kind of side of, of automotive is see how the technology is changing. Like when you think back to that 9173 or even that 01 that you had compared to the 2020 <laughs> and the electrical demand that's on that truck. And then there's the aftermarket has exploded so much with, and we've talked about lights and accessories and there's outlets in the bed and there's so many things you can run off, off these trucks that it's, uh, it, it just seems like, that's going to be the future is how we how we're able to supply the accessories supply the aftermarket stuff we're running with all the new features you know that are on there and some of the challenges like i mentioned in the beginning with not being able to idle it or do these things that the guys used to do with them it's it's really fascinating it's a whole new side of truck ownership that like I, I said before i've never really focused in on but it's kind of captivated my attention for right now is how how can I get the best products? How can I be forward thinking? How can I eliminate a potential issue? Cause it, it really does suck when, you know, it's five degrees outside <clears throat> truck doesn't start. And it's just like, could I have done something different? You know, could I charge it, <laughs> charge it you know, <laughs> just do these different things. It's a glass of water. If you drink it down, you want it, you're going to have to fill it back up. Yeah. But no, it's interesting that you talked about how things are changing and like it, I couldn't, notice it more being connected to the off-road space like there was this there's this show on youtube that i really like that's an overland show 
and it placated to me so much that I was thought that I was watching a show that was absolutely just developed for me. And it was kind of, it was kind of the baseline for just jump starting Overland. And when you look at what's happening in the industry right now, and we're not talking diesel, we're talking all the way across the board, just the automotive industry in general, the OEs are paying attention. I mean, you can get Subarus, you can get, um, Toyotas, you can get, oh gosh, who else is doing it? I think Mitsubishi was doing it a little bit. I think Ford's doing it a little bit with the Bronco and the Ranger. These guys are building vehicles that are literally a template for somebody that wants to build an overland vehicle. Yeah. So it's it's very evident that they're paying attention. And it's, it's you know, I'm not going to say overland single-handedly saved off-road because I think side-by-sides did too as well. But seeing those two kind of converge at the same time, it's really interesting. And you made a comment about 10, 15 minutes ago that I, I was going to chime in on that when I was in high school and you looked out in my high school parking lot, you saw 70 Roadrunners, you saw 70 Novas, Chevelles, Challengers, and the rich kids drove, you know, 504s or LT1 Camaros or something like that. Ten years later, those muscle cars were replaced by 12 valve Dodges and old Power Stroke Fords. Like those were those as kids as muscle cars. And it was so cool. I mean, granted, I do live in a farming community, but they would much rather drive an old 12 valve or drive an old Power Stroke than they would some of those old muscle cars. It's kind of interesting how things changed. Yeah, I saw that too growing up in the suburbs of a big city is. I would see that as well. I think I mostly saw trucks, but then it was diesel trucks. You know, it was like, well, I don't want the half ton gas truck. I want oh, my dad's Cummins or, you know, Duramax or something else. And it just exploded from the time I first got into them till now. And the technology and, and just what's going on is very exciting. And I think with overlanding, we haven't covered it a lot. I have a little bit. Had some guests on that are, that are really into it. And you're right. I have noticed the OEMs offering trucks that are just a template to be able to do that oh, yeah. across not, not necessarily specifically diesel but just everything that's out there and i think it's maybe kind of the new frontier oh yeah so, no so I, I eat I, i'm guilty of it too i eat sleep and breathe that i mean my instagram handle has overlander in it like it's uh <laughs> i uh, i do that stuff i actually guide trips into the mountains and i don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon how many diesel trucks do you see in the overlanding community is it something that's growing is it something that uh I'm, I'm not too familiar with it i just had, you know had a few guests i see things on social media i've seen some guys with uh with diesel trucks that are doing it but what's it like on that side the first overland show i attended in flagstaff arizona was overland expo west and the first couple of years i went there it was a lot of toyotas a lot of jeeps a lot of forerunners a lot of lexus um it the most recent overland show i went to was in bend oregon it was overland expo pacific northwest had to have been 35 percent diesel serious like and i don't know things are going crazy right now like I've got my buddies that offer road power products. They're just, you know, they make fun of me for showing up in my diesel truck on 37s. They're like, Ian, 42s are the new 37s. You know? <laughs> <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. It, it's crazy where it's going. And I never felt more validated in saying that than when I was walking around Bend. And seeing, I mean, everybody. if you've been around Overland, you've probably seen Earth Roamers. And, but it, it's not uncommon now to see 
uh, F-350, 3500 chassis that are just blown up with the most intricate freaking overland type applic- uh, components on it. Me, I'm a little, I don't know, I'm so much of a minimalist. I just look at that stuff and I want to wheel and it really limit it, limits your ability to wheel. And I think that's where a Jeep is pretty dang handy, but I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the boat where I want to build my Laramie one third tow pig, one third overlander. And I don't know, one third, hopefully rock crawler. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it's, it blows me away where things are going. And that's, that's going to be the latest trend in overland, man you watch within the next few years, you're going to start to see a lot of overlanders out there that are on forties with suspension that articulate like crazy because starting to go into where people are just like, yeah, I don't want to just pull into a campground. I want to go drive to the top of that freaking mountain. I want to crawl my way up to it and then camp up there. And like, you're starting to see so many rock crawlers and stuff like that have rooftop tents, you know, got a bazooka mounted on the side that deploy a hammock, you know, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because you're talking about all the latest and greatest components overland. My gosh, that is such an interesting place to people watch. Cause I've always said, you've got two different types of overlanders. You got the guys that are out there to enjoy nature, take pictures, breathe fresh air. And the others are prepping for the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned that because there's a YouTube channel I follow. I have for a long time and he has a lot of survival stuff on there and I followed him for years. And then I saw a video about a year ago where he has a five, nine common rail that he set up for overlanding. And it was like, I didn't, I didn't know he was into this stuff, but just seeing how he set up that that five nine for going out into the wilderness, being able to you know sustain um, you know himself and his family, go different places. I thought, okay, this is really cool. This is something I need to start paying more attention to and learning about. Yeah, overland placates to the inner gear addict that we all have in us, you know. You want all the cool stuff, this, that, and the other. I mean, me, I'm kind of the opposite. Like when I do these guided trips, I'll show up with two, uh, two 30 gallon dry bags, a little, couple little giant loop bags, something you can mount on the side of a BMW GS 1200, like a bike. Cause that's, that's how I got into off-road was on motocross bikes and adventure bikes. And, uh, it's, I'm such a minimalist. Like if I think there's only about a 40% chance I might need it or use it. I don't bring it. It's just, I don't want to overwhelm the ring it, or the rig. It affects the way it handles. It affects the speeds I can hold, affects my mileage, everything. So I think that's where our conversation about batteries ultimately ties in is in being able to maximize our, our vehicles. However, we might intend to use it, getting the best product that we can for a variety of different circumstances that may arise or uses we might have for the truck. And I know one of the big questions that a listener is going to have is, Hey, it was really cool. Listening to this conversation. I, you know, I learned some things about batteries. I didn't know I'm coming up on time. I need to upgrade mine. How can people connect with you guys? How can they find your product? How can they purchase your product? So you can go to fullthrottlebattery.com, have everything from an online shop to a dealer locator to a battery finder. So Everything is right there at your fingertips on that website. It's just fullthrottlebattery.com. 
Very cool. It was it was awesome to connect with you, Ian, and be able to learn more about something I think is extremely overlooked in the truck community, specifically diesel truck community, which is what we focus on, which is batteries and the the demand that's on them, especially on newer vehicles. Like you talked about, the temperatures under the hood, um, so many different uh, electronic components that are that are taxing it. And being able to put the best product we can into something we use every single day that we're operating the truck. So it was it was really cool to chat with you. I appreciate your time, your knowledge, your expertise, and look forward to learning more about it. It's it's, it's such a huge topic. I need to spend a lot of time on it yeah. and really jump into. But it was very cool wow. to chat with you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It it was a lot of fun, and if anything we can do to help in the future, you you know how to find me and. I hope the audio was good. My wife's uh, Shih Tzu is down below me just snoring away, so <laughs> hopefully it's not too loud. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code DIESEL2023 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. If you need a knife for EDC, hunting, fishing, at work, at home, they've definitely got you covered with a bunch of different choices. 2023 has been a huge year for them with a, a bunch of knives and, and new releases that have hit the market. One of the newer ones are the Duralock models, which the blade is made out of D2 steel. The way that the blade opens and closes keeps your fingers out of the way. It's got a real positive feel to it. And you have different choices uh, for the handle design and also blade shape. So if you're in the market, definitely make sure you head on over to their website. Use code DIESEL2023 for 20% off site-wide. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen at 23Diesel, J. Cole, John, all of our other Patreons, all of you who subscribe on YouTube, podcast apps, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all your support here in Year 7 of the Diesel Podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content that you guys want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up. 